Hello, and thank you for connecting with us here at Oasis Online. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, I would love to hear from you. Would you send me an email at pastor at obclv.org? I hope you enjoy the service today and that God would speak directly to your heart. The word hero is used uh, so much in, in the day and age in which we live. It's, 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 it's become just a pop culture type of a thing. Everybody is a hero. Uh, everybody is somebody's idol and somebody's hero that we look up to. And, and it's really become an artificial, imaginary thing that, that we, we count as people that are heroes in our lives. Uh, we've made uh, actors and actresses heroes and musicians heroes and athletes heroes. And, and we put all of these people up on this huge pedestal and we, we call them a hero because they have fame, because they have fortune, because they are in the limelight, yet they have no regard or no reason at all to be looked, up, up, looked upon as a hero at all. True heroes are people whose efforts and sacrifices save lives, alter destinies, change history, or shift the course of history for the better. They are men and women who appear in vital roles in leadership, in war, in medicine, science, education, law enforcement, civil service, and many other roles. They advance others. These are people who the world changes for the better because of them. But the great reality is this. There's many that we watch on TV that have changed the world for a better. There's presidents that have changed our world and, and the world around for better. There is athletes who have become rich. There are actors and actresses and musicians who have become very wealthy and have done things with that fame to make people around them better. They have given back to the homeless. They've given back. But here's the sad reality. The great reality is that most of them only make things better on this world and not beyond this world. The greatest heroes are those who are the human means God uses to change people forever. For their good and for His glory. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Paul is is basically saying, and what we would know or what we would speak of even today is, the great and the mighty aren't necessarily the ones that are the, the truly the great and the mighty. The heroes of our day. I'll be real honest, nobody outside of this room would know some of my heroes. Nobody outside of my circle of influence would know the men that I would look to and say, that's a hero of mine. Nobody in this world would know them. My father isn't really well known throughout this world. But he's a man I call a hero. My grandfather isn't a man that's known all throughout the world, but he's a man I would call a hero. There's men in this room that I would say would be heroes, though nobody has a clue who they are. I'm talking today of a a passage of Scripture that many of you would know. It's not something new. It's, 
It's really, I fought very hard not to use this scripture this morning, being that it was Father's Day. And I just, it kept bringing me back. Everything just kept bringing me back here. In Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, one that we all know, we look at this and we would, we would know the story of a, of a son who, read, who, who fled home and, and did some things, but this story could just as easily be the love of a father, or the joy or the forgiveness of a father. And as we go this morning, we're going we're gonna to look at a few different things, but these, these days to me, and I hope they are to you the same, I know you don't get to stand up here and speak, and maybe some of you would be like me and you wish you didn't have to stand up here and speak, but these are mornings for me, Mother's Day, Father's Day, where I don't know why, it becomes emotional when I sit down at this morning, I sat down at my desk and I just thought of my dad. Mother's Day, I sit down at my desk and I think of my mom. I think of who they are. I think of who I am and why I am. And then I look at the men and I look at the women. I look at my mom and my dad, my grandparents. I look at others of you and I think of those are heroes of mine. For reasons that none of you would, would understand. And I look at this story and I think of a boy who ran away, who left home, who, who wanted nothing to do anymore with his family. And he just wanted the finances that they were able to provide to him. And he decided to leave home. But he never could get dad off of his mind. I thank God that I've never done that. I wish I knew nobody who did. But I can look at my father every day. I'm sorry. I can look at my dad every day and I know that he's had one who's left and done that. And there was never a day that he hated, never a day that he was angry, never a day that he didn't pray, never a day that he didn't love. And I look at the, <coughs> I look at this story and I can't, help but see my own father and thank God for the dad that I had. And I had no intention of crying or saying any of that. But this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. The story of a prodigal son. And I want to take you back with me just a little bit so that we can better understand, really we're looking at not just one story inside of Luke chapter 15, but this is the third uh, parable that Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and to the scribes and to people that thought they had it all together, that thought they knew, that thought they were better than many others around them. And Jesus brought them to a, a, a place and all throughout God's or Jesus' parables, all throughout the times that Jesus would teach people, he would use what somebody who he was teaching would know exactly what he was talking about. And then he would bring them to a point and bring them to a moment where they would now have to make a decision. And I'm going to take us to the prodigal son, and I'm going to take us to this passage of scripture in Luke chapter 15, but 
just briefly, let me kind of share a little bit. Obviously, most of us would know that the Bible was a, a, a book or it was God's word, but it was written in the Middle East, in the midst of the Middle Eastern culture. Now, you and I, as much as we can attempt to try to understand, we don't understand the Middle Eastern culture. Uh, we've been trying to figure this out for years. We've been in a war in the Middle East for a long time because we want to change a culture that's been there for thousands of thousands of years. It, it, we just don't know it. We don't understand it. We don't, it goes so much deeper. Literally, the Middle Eastern problems that we face and we see today go back to the beginning of our Bible, what we read in every single, what we read and study. It takes us all the way back. It's probably never going to change until Jesus comes. Well, I know it's not going to change. But here we see, we go back and we're looking at a, a story that's, that's written in the Middle Eastern time. We, a couple thousand years later, still try to figure out some of those things. But in our culture, and in the, just like in theirs, there's certain things that are just kind of ingrained in who we are. In America, there's certain things that are ingrained into us as Americans. Just like back thousands of years ago, as are today, in the Middle East, there's things that are ingrained into their culture. Some of those are how they treat their family. Some of those are how they uphold the men that are in their lives. Fathers, men in the Middle Eastern culture, are the, they're the pinnacle. They are the, the greatness. It's the, the father. And so as we go through and we start looking at some of these things... We're going to look at a, a, a parable this morning. As Jesus spoke, he spoke certain things and he would, again, as I stated just a moment ago, he would bring a thought to them that was very real to who they were and as a culture it was very real to who they were. And then he would, he would kind of, I guess, almost surprise them. I don't know how many times they got surprised by the same concept, but he would, he would share with them and then he would come around and he would, he would kind of get them. I guess you could say, with a truth that they needed for their lives. And so, we look here, Christ is on his way to Jerusalem. The last months of his life. He is intending to offer himself as God's perfect sacrifice for sin. To die on the cross, and, and then on the, the following Sunday, he was going to rise from the dead. He has developed... In this time of ministry, he's developed people that just don't like him. We would call them enemies. These Pharisees, scribes, are basically the architects of the religion of Judaism at the day. They have their influence in the synagogues, which are the local assemblies just like we would have as our churches. They are the primary influencing force. They are legalistic. They are corrupt inwardly. They are hypocritical. They are hostile towards Jesus. And yet they have the greatest amount of influence. And so you have basically a populace of people, for the most part, that is hostile or, or indifferent towards Christ under their influence of teaching. And so we come through and we're, we're coming to a place here, and we'll get to Luke 15 in a second, where... Jesus then begins to identify who these people were. He identifies them as self-righteous and, and not truly righteous. He identified them as not truly understanding the Scripture or the will of God. He told them that they did not know God, that they did not know the true way of salvation. He told them that they were excluded from the kingdom of God because they were 
inwardly corrupt, and they were headed to divine judgment. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things you can tell me, but when you start pointing things in my face and giving me a whole bunch of truth that I don't want to hear, um, I'm probably going to be a little bit upset as some of these guys were. We don't like that. The culture in which we live today, and I shared this last week, we don't like to be told that we're wrong. You can know that you're wrong, but you're not going to tell anybody else that you're wrong. That's the call. That's the, we're prideful, selfish individuals. And I don't like to admit, men, have you ever admitted to your wife that you were wrong, that you went the wrong way? <laughs> no. <laughs> we don't like that. We always get some I told you so at the end of that conversation with our spouses. But we just don't, as, as, as the simplest thing to something that is more extreme, we don't like to say, hey, I'm wrong. These guys didn't like it either, any different than we would. But so we, kind, we, we come to a place where, where we see there's been a couple parables that have taken place. We go into to verses 1 and 2 in this passage in chapter 1, or chapter 15, I'm sorry, where, where the publicans and sinners are there and, and the Pharisees and scribes are upset because Jesus is eating with the publicans and sinners and he's hanging out with people that he should not be hanging out with. And so they begin to ask him questions. And, and we, we get into this and we, we see Jesus at the beginning and he he begins to, to share a couple different parables. At the beginning of this chapter, he begins, he shares the parable of the lost sheep. And uh, again, what if, if he looks at them, and again, Middle Eastern culture, they would know exactly what shepherds were, and they would understand the, the culture of, of shepherding and all those things. And he says, hey, what if one of those sheep were to leave? Would you not go and find them? And would you not just celebrate after the one that would, would come back? And then he goes and he, he continues a little bit further and he goes to the next parable, which is the parable of the lost coin. And it's, again, something very similar in nature. And he does these first two parables and here we come towards this next point. And, and he looks at verse, the first two parables are really more of a divine nature. And, and he comes to the parable of the lost son or the, the prodigal son and he really brings it down to the human kind or the human nature where we're looking at sin we're looking at repentance we're looking at 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 somebody coming back and he takes it just a little bit differently if you would go with me in Luke chapter 15 we'll start in verse 11 and we'll read to verse number 25 we'll get into the points this morning Luke chapter 15 and verse number 11 It says this, and he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all there, arose a mighty famine in the land. And he began to be in want. And he went and joined with himself, with, or joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? 
and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he, has, when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And we're not going to continue to go forward with that, but we see and we read the story here of the prodigal son. And we'll get into the points. Let's pray and we'll go through the servants, the sermon this morning. Father, I thank you for the day that you've given. God, I have read this passage of Scripture numerous times in the last few days. And God, I just pray that you would speak to the people through your word. God, I ask that if there is one that doesn't know you as Savior, that they would come to know you. Lord, I think of the many fathers that sit in front of me this morning. God, men who have given of themselves, men who have been selfless. God, I thank you. I thank you for their influence in this church, in their homes, in and around this community. God, I pray that today would be an encouragement. Lord, I pray that we would leave having been changed by your word. In Jesus' name that I pray, amen. So, this morning, let me encourage you, let me challenge you with, within God's word, and we'll get to the points here. I know that today is Father's Day. I understand also that every person in this room is not a father. This series, or this, not this series, but this sermon here is not just based on a father. This could be any one of us. This could be a series or a sermon that's based on you as a single mom, as a mother, as a friend. And I pray that this morning it would be that, that as we look at uh, a, a father and a son, but it would be something that we could put ourselves in the midst of this situation and be able to, that we would open our hearts to God and whatever He would have for us. And so the very first point this morning is this, the father gave. If we go to the passage in verse number 12, it says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that faileth to me, or that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. In verse number 12, we're looking at the younger son that came to his father that asked of his portion. And again, in this day and age, basically the, the oldest would, get, would have gotten half and then it would have been divided accordingly thereafter. The son, the, the youngest son would have been uh, owed or due at basically the, the passing of his father. He'd have been due about a third of the, 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 the inheritance that he would have had. And so we look at the prodigal son. The, the, the word prodigal and the word that we're looking at as we talk about that is 
basically waste or senseless indulging. And so we're looking at a young man who comes up, and, and this is what he says. And I don't know about you. I've not had to deal with an inheritance ever before yet. I haven't, I haven't had that issue. But inheritance is given at the passing of the father or of the head of the home. And Jesus is teaching, understanding who he's talking to in the Middle East. And he goes through and he begins to share this. And and basically what was said was this. Dad, I wish you were dead. And I want nothing to do with you or anyone else in this family. I want my money. That's basically the conversation that was had. Now I have a son and I have three daughters. I don't know how I'll respond if any of my children say, Dad, I wish you were dead and just give me whatever my inheritance is due to me. One, I would probably say there is no inheritance due to any of you because we have no money. But I don't know how that response would look or what I would say, but he looked at his dad and he basically said, I don't want anything from you. You've forced me long enough. I've worked with teenagers for a long time, and many kids would say, well, my mom and dad just make me come to church. They force me to do this, and they force me to do that. And here's a young man who looks at his dad and says, I wish you were dead. I'm sick and tired of doing what you've told me to do. I'm sick and tired of, of living this life and, and being under your thumb, so to speak, and I'm, I'm done with this. I just want to do whatever I want to do, and I no longer want anything to do with you. Give me what is due to me, that inheritance. Now here's what should have happened. Dad probably should have taken out his right or left hand, whichever he was, And given his son a what for across the face. A nice punch, a smack. I don't know what that looks like. But in all reality, that's what should have taken place. What could have taken place was just that. He could have looked at his son and said, Son, you are no longer a part. I'm not giving you anything. Leave basically excommunicated him completely from the family. What was normal in this day and something similar to that was that they would even kick them out of the family and literally have a funeral service for the one that was kicked out. He was dead to the father. If we go, and we'll we'll get there in a few moments, but if you go to the end and we look at verse 24, I believe it is, where he says, um, for this my son was dead. He was dead to the family. When he left, that was culture. That was norm. But we see here that the father gave of himself and of his inheritance. The father would have went in and and the inheritance wasn't that he just went out of his pocket and said here's all of the money that is due to you no he had to go in and he would say okay we have five thousand cattle and this third of it is yours and we have this much percentage of land and this third of it was yours and and he would go through all of the things and all the stuff that they had in their home 
And a third of it was to go to this younger son. The son didn't ask for anything but money. So the the father would go and he would basically gave him a piece of paper and said, here you go. This is all that is due to you. You know, here's, as we sit here this morning and we, we think of fathers and we, we think of this particular story and we think of men that are heroes or, or, or people that would be heroes to us. I think of people that give of themselves. I think of people that don't want from others that they have just given and given and given. As I said, I think of my own father who for 50 whatever years has just given of himself for the last 35 who has given himself to me as a son. Never asking for anything in return. Never wanting anything in return. And I look at that and I think of that and I think of that's a hero. That's a man that I can look to. That's a hero in my eyes. And we look at this story and we see a kid. Dad, I don't want anything to do with you. Dad, I'm sick of being told what to do. And instead of smacking the kid in his face and saying, you know what? You're no longer a part of our family. He gives of his son. I'm just going to read a couple statements. The sinner who has and doesn't want a relationship. This is, we're looking here, what a hero this father was. What a a hero uh, our heavenly father is. The correlation between the two. You and I as sinners who basically have smacked Christ in his face and said, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want, and yet Jesus just gives and gives and gives. A hero gives, a hero gives of himself, sometimes to the point that there is a rejected love. Now this morning I'm not sitting here saying that you and I are to just take and we're just supposed to be trampled upon. But let me share with you, and this isn't just to a father, this is to each and every one of you that sits in this room. You and I aren't called as people, not believers. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, as a believer we are called to take up our cross daily. We are called to give of ourselves daily. We are called to bow down and give back to Christ. We're called to all of those things. This is tough. This isn't something that we like to hear sometimes. The greatest life that you can live is that of giving of yourself. Dad, giving of yourself. I'll be real honest, I'm selfish. I don't know if that comes across as a surprise to any of you, but I'm a selfish individual, just like everyone that I'm looking at. We're selfish people. When I come home after working all day, I want to sit on the couch. That's what I want to do. I don't want to go outside and ride bikes in 110 degrees. I don't want to jump on the trampoline. 
I don't want to play cars. I don't want to play Barbies. I don't want to play house. I don't want to do any of those things. I want to sit on the couch. A couple weeks ago, it was watch basketball. Now it's property brothers or something. I don't know. But I don't want to do much because I'm selfish. Far too often I find myself sitting on the couch being selfish. I, as a dad, need to give of myself. I don't have my kids around forever. I remember dad getting down on his knees crawling around for hours playing basketball in my bedroom with the the hoop that was on my wall. And we would wrestle or we would shoot hoops. I remember hours. That wasn't after because dad was boring and lazy and he did nothing all day at work. No, he would leave our house at 5.30 in the morning and he would get up at, or he would come back home at 6 and he would eat dinner and then he would come down and he would get on his knees and play with those kids and wrestle and throw us against the couch and half make us fall down the steps and kill us every night. He gave of himself. I am to give of myself. Not because I have children, but because I am to give of myself because they are people in my home. I hope this makes sense. You are to give of yourself, not because it's your spouse, because it's somebody and it's something that God has called us and asked us and commanded us to do, is to give of ourselves. The greatest life that we can live is to give of ourselves. And I'll promise you this as well. Sometimes in giving of yourself you will find and you will discover the greatest hurt comes from giving of yourself. The sad part of that is you give and you give and you give and you love and you love and you love and the more that you give and the more that you love, when that person decides to say, I don't want that anymore and reject that love and reject that giving, it hurts really, really bad. But I'll tell you this, I got that I'm younger than many of you in this room and I may not have all the life experience that some have had in this room, but there's never been a time where I've given of myself that I've not been glad that I gave of myself. There's been many times I've sat at home and I've cried myself to sleep because I thought I was doing the right thing by giving of myself and somebody stabbed me in the back. There's been times of that. But never once would I look back and go, man, I wish I would have just been angry and hate. I wish I wouldn't have helped. I wish I wouldn't have given of myself. The father gave of himself. The next point is the son's waste. The son, he took and gathered everything. It says in verse number 13, and and not many days After that, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. What that means is this. Literally, he turned all of those things into money. He gathered all of his money and he left. You say, well, how did he gather money? Here's what he did. He took the piece of paper that said, I have this many cattle and this many pig and this many and this many and this many and this much and this much. And he took it to people and he said, hey, I want to sell this. And he sold it for whatever he could sell it for. And this person, whoever bought it, would have, when dad would have passed, that person would have had this piece of paper that said, I have all of this. 
And this is my investment, basically, at that time and age. That, or in that day, it would have been an investment just like you and I would invest. I'm buying something at this price, knowing that in 20 years it's going to be higher. And I'm going to invest. I'm going to bring back. And so the son took and he sold all of those things. He took and sold the piece of paper. He sold that inheritance. He took all of that money and he left for the wilderness or he left for a faraway country to find that freedom that he was so longing to find. Let me encourage you, and I know this morning we have some teenagers in the room. I have no idea who you are. You have no idea who I am. But the freedom that you seek leaving mom and dad will never be the freedom that you think it is. Listen, adult in this room, the freedom that you want and the sin and the pleasure and the guilty pleasure that you want to have and partake in is never the freedom that you are after. The sin of this world is, is, is a lot of fun on the outside. And it looks great. And the first time that you smoked that joint or the first time that you had that alcoholic beverage and the first time that you did it was probably lots of fun if you remembered it. 20 years later when you still have the problem, it's no longer fun. It's now a bondage that has you stuck. And I don't know if we have any addicts in the room. I'm just using a very... Simple illustration this morning. And it's not just things like that. But we seek freedom. I don't know how many times I would sit in a room full of teenagers and they would say something about Christianity being rules and laws of all of these things. We just, we can't do this and 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 we can't do this. No, let me share with you, and I know you're adults and there's teenagers in this room. The greatest freedom that we have is in Christ Jesus. The greatest freedom that we have is is we were once slave to sin and when we broke that bond, when Christ came in and He freed us from that, He he cut the cord and he, He broke that and we are now free. Freedom is being alive in Him. Freedom isn't taking all of the money that we think that we need and going and buying the cars and buying the houses. And and in this particular instance, it was going and living. It says riotous living. And that was on, on hookers and all of the different things that this young man lived his life to do. That he just took and just, here's my, I don't know how much money, and he just took it and threw it down the toilet and had a good time for whatever that time was worth. The sun's waste. The foolishness of sin. He wanted to get away from God or we would want to get away from God. We would want to get away from God now. He he wants no accountability to God. He sells cheap all of the opportunities that God has provided for him. All the good gifts, all the gospel opportunities, everything that's good that God has put in this world for us. How many times do we throw it all away? We are always headed or heading for trouble whenever we value things more than people. Pleasure more than duty and distant scenes more than the blessings we have right at our home. The prodigal son learned very quickly the hard way that you cannot enjoy the things money can buy if you, can, if you ignore the things money cannot buy. The son just took and wasted 
I, I don't know about you. I don't know how many wasted opportunities that I've had in my life. Many times that I thought, well, I've got this under control. I can do what I would like to do. I can do what I want. I wanted that freedom or I wanted whatever it was. And we come to verse number 14. And the next point is God's work. And it says in 14, And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. So after he had spent and wasted all that he had, there came a famine. Now, I think most of us in this room would understand this, but this young man didn't cause a famine in that land. There's many times that things come up in our lives, it's not necessarily we did those things. Sometimes God brings us something so just to get our attention. I put that this is God's, uh, God's work because of this simple thought. God did and God put him in a position so where God could get a hold of him where he was. There was a famine in the land. This young man didn't go there and it, it doesn't say that he was the reason that there was famine or any of those things, but it was something that God used to get a hold of this, this kid. He was a teenager basically. And so, God works. Sometimes God allows things in our lives that may not be caused by us, but that sure do affect us to take a look at our own lives, maybe a little bit differently. This for him caused him to take a look at his life and where he was. He once was at home and assuming uh, he was at home with the, with the father and with the family that was very wealthy, that had things I'm assuming he had a nice bedroom, he had a nice room, he had all of these things. He then takes what he has and he, he wastes it and throws it all away. Now he is in the midst of famine, wanting and needing, and God brings him to this place. You and I don't fully understand famine. An author or a writer in the 1800s wrote this about famine. He tells of children being sold into slavery to keep them from starving. He speaks of men found dead every morning on the streets. And when the numbers increased, the ruler of the city declared every man responsible for throwing the dead bodies in the front of his house into the river. And not wanting to have all the dead bodies in front of their house, inhabitants of the city would drag the dead in front of other people's houses. Every morning quarrels would ring out across the city as men fought over where the dead bodies really died. Some merchants had to keep hippopotamus hide whips nearby to drive off the maddened beggars who would attack them bodily and ravish the little that they had in their shops. Small merchants with their wares on the street would throw themselves across their wares as the miserable wretches came by to steal something to eat. Men venturing out at night unarmed were attacked and eaten. Straying animals were killed and eaten raw. Shoe leather, rotten flesh, and garbage were all devoured. They ate palm trees. Families in the village seeing death on them bricked up the doors of their houses and awaited death in a room to keep their own bodies from being devoured by hyenas. Entire villages were wiped out in this manner. 
this is a famine. I get that that's maybe vulgar. Maybe it's too real and raw, but this young man was in the midst of famine. He was in the midst of nothing. There was nothing. And so he chose to cling on to somebody. And if we continue to read this passage of Scripture, it says in 15, And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And basically what we're looking at is this young man came, and just like, I don't know how many of you have been to a third world country where there's people that are just starving to death and dying, but they would literally cling on to somebody who had something. And basically that's what this young man did. This prodigal son, he went and he found somebody, a citizen who had something, and he literally would just cling on to him until the guy said, fine, here, go out into the pigs and feed the pigs. And we see a Jew going out into the midst of the fields with the pigs to feed the pigs. The lowest of the low. And he finally goes out into the middle of this field and he, he is, it says in verse 15 or in verse 16, and he would fain, he wished that he had filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. He desired that he would actually go in and basically fight with the pigs for the same food that the pigs were eating. All he wanted was something to eat to fill his starving stomach. And there he was, in the midst of a famine. And he came to himself in 17, and he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants." And so we see here that this, this young man, this, this teenager, God had worked in the midst of this famine to get a hold of this kid's heart to where he, he, he began to think of back home. He began to think of his father. He began to think of all those things. And he says, all I want to do at this point, I just want to go back home and I want to tell my dad, dad, I don't want anything. I just want to be a servant in your, in your quarters. Just give me a high, make me a hired hand. Dad, just give me a job for the day. I don't need to be a son. I don't need to be any of the, I just want to be around it again. I just need to be around home. And the work of that famine spoke into this kid's life and spoke into this young man's life over and over and over again. And we don't know the time frame here, but we see then it says in verse 20 that he arose. Listen to me, let me encourage you with this, and my last point is very brief this morning, but let me encourage you with this. I don't know how many times in my life where God convicted me, God worked, God showed me, and I knew exactly what to do, and I chose not to do it. I made a decision, a conscious decision in my life at times where I knew that God had worked and and God had given me the answer and God had shown me exactly what I needed to do. And in my mind, I said just what this kid said. Hey, I need to go home and seek forgiveness from my father. I need to go home and not ask of anything. Just basically just this. I need to go home and and bow down at dad's feet and say, Dad, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. 
Hey, that's each and every one of us in this room. That's each and every one of us in this room. We need to go home. We need to maybe sit at an altar. We need to sit at a chair. And we need to just bow down to an almighty God and say, Dad, I'm sorry. Dad, I need to come back to you. Dad, I have forget. I need repentance in my life. Dad, I need you. Dad, Dad, Dad. But how many times we know to do it and we fail to do it. This young man felt the call and exactly what he needed to do. And he didn't just think it. He arose, it says, and he went home. And he arose in verse 20 and came to his father. And the last point, or actually I lied, I just mixed the first two point, or those two points together. The son's realization, 17 through 19, I apologize. But we look there and the, the son realized where he was. Let me give you this and I'll go right to the next point as I pretty much just did this. Sin is rebellion against God the Father. It is not rebellion so much against His law. It is more rebellion against His relationship. It is the violation of His fatherhood, His love. Sin is disdained. Sure for God's law, but, for, but before that it's disdain for God's person, God's authority, God's will. Sin is, is shunning all responsibility, all accountability. It is to deny God His place. It is to hate God. It is to wish God was dead. It is, not, it is to not love Him at all. Dishonor Him. It is to take all the gifts that He surrounded you with in life and squander them as if they were nothing. It is to run as far from God as you can get to give him no thought, no regard, no concern. It is to waste your life in self-indulgence and disposition or dissipation and an unrestrained lust. There was the prodigal son having done all of those things, coming to his place and getting to an area where he knew what he needed to do. He realized his faults. He realized his failure, he realized all those things and he turned and he chose to do something about it. And the last point is the father's joy. In verse number 20, it says, But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father, in verse 22, said to his his servants, Go, bring forth the best robe and, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat, let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. The father We don't know what the situation was with the father. We don't know how long he searched. We don't know any of these things. But as we studied, or as I studied, as I looked, and as I read, here's basically in a nutshell what took place. That father knew that if that son walked inside of the gates of that city, what was about to take place to that young man. See, because what could have happened was as that kid came back into the city, he could have been stoned. He could have been met by people who would, would, would have taken care of that young man. They could have beat him. They could have done a number of different things. But that father was outside the gates of that city waiting for his son to come home. And when he saw his son outside for a distance, and when he saw his son, he took off running at a distance to go and 
grab a hold of that boy and give him a big old hug. There's so many different things that are, could be mentioned here. One of which, the father was running. You might think, well, that's fairly normal. In that day and age, it wasn't. They wore big, long robes, and they, they wore those things. In the older age, they did not run because of, again, it was a cultural thing. But based on what they wear and wore, and based on the age, and based on different things, they didn't do that. We look at it, and we go, hey, I'm running to see my son. That wasn't culturally normal in that day. But what did he do? He knew this. If I don't meet my son before he comes inside of this gate, he's going to be held accountable. He's going to take a punishment that he doesn't need to take because dad's forgiven. Hey, listen this morning. I don't know if you you can correlate the two. But there was a God who sent his son. And before I got to the gate... He had already taken every punishment. He had already taken every beating. He had already taken everything that should have been mine. And he met me outside of that gate and he said, Hey, Aaron, I forgive you. Hey, Aaron, you once were lost and now you're found. Hey, you don't need to take that. And he grabbed a hold of me and he put me in that robe. And he gave me a ring that was put on my hand. And he said, Ah, he's a part of me. He's in my family now. And when they walked down the street and he walked into the gates... He was no longer ridiculed. That son was no longer about to be stoned. There was nothing that was going to take place to that son. Why? Because daddy had him. Hey, dad went out and he left home and he left and he said, I'm, I'm seeking that young man. I'm seeking that boy. Listen to me today. Dads, I pray that you're seeking your children every single day. I pray that you're lifting them up before Christ. Moms, I pray that you're seeking I pray that you're giving of yourself. There's a daddy in heaven. He did. Listen, I don't know where you sit this morning. I don't know where you stand. I don't know the pain that you face. I don't know the circumstances that you've gone through in your life. I don't know if you're running from God. I don't know if you're trying to find God. But let me tell you, he's seeking after you. He wants you today. There's nothing too bad that you would have done. There's nothing that's too good that you can earn heaven. But he's waiting for you to come through that gate so that he can see you. And he's going to take off running. And he's going to grab and give you a big old hug. And he's going to give you the robe that says, you're with me. And he's going to put a ring upon your finger that says, hey, he's a part of my family. And he wants to just carry you inside of those gates. And he wants to just love you. There's no greater hero than the hero that you have in our Heavenly Father. I don't know where you stand this morning. I don't know the pain. I don't know the hurt. I don't know the hardship. I started out the sermon this morning talking a little bit about my own dad. And I can't in any way, shape, or form compare my dad to Jesus Christ at all. There, as great of a man as I had as a father, there's no comparison. But dads, moms, single people, it really doesn't matter. Are you given of yourself? Are you given of yourself? Are you 
Are you looking for those God moments and God to work, and when He does, that you're going to act upon it? Are you in your life waiting for the one that may have hurt you? And you need to go, and you need to go meet them at the door. You need to go meet them out there and say, hey, I forgive you. You're in my family. I love you. Maybe you sit in this room and you would say, I don't know Jesus Christ as as my personal Savior. Maybe you sit here with hatred in your heart. Maybe you sit here with with anger. Maybe you sit here this morning and you you would say, hey, I've done some bad things. Let me tell you, there's nothing too bad that you can do that He's not meeting you outside of that gate. Why? The penalty's already been paid. The price has already been paid. Jesus Christ already hung on a tree. The tomb is empty. We taught that this week in Agency D3. The tomb is empty. He just wants you, he wants to give you a robe. He wants to put a ring on your finger and say, hey, you once were lost and now you're found. Can I beg you this morning? If you don't know Christ as your Savior, would you come? Believer this morning, Maybe you need to to be where we were just a few moments ago where you just need to realize who God is and you need to bow your head before an almighty God and say, God, I need to seek repentance. I need to seek forgiveness. Not because I'm a bad person, but because I'm a sinner. And I've not read, I've not been the man or the woman that I need to be. Maybe you're sitting here and you're just selfish and you've not given of yourself. Somebody hurt you once. And you're going to keep it all because I'm not letting it go. Man, let me beg you. Can I just plead with you this morning? There's no greater life than to give of yourself. We're all going to get hurt by somebody. Hey, let me ask forgiveness before. I'm going to hurt somebody in this room and I apologize. But there's no greater way to live your life than to give of yourself. Maybe this morning you just need to give of yourself. You need to let go. The person that hurts you need to be freed so that you can be freed. Thank you for worshiping with us here at Oasis Online. If this message was an encouragement to you, would you send me an email and let me know at pastor at obclv.org. Before you go, go check us out at oasisbaptistchurch.org. And if we can be of any help to you or an encouragement to you, please let us know. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.